It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important stories. Socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. What it means is, is that government controls it through rules and regulations. The latest in politics and world affairs. Under this guise of bipartisanship and nonpartisanship, it's actually tapped down the truth. Today's current opinions and ideas. On an equal field in the battle of ideas, mistruths or misconceptions, and it is getting us into to a world of hurt. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Thank you so much for joining us. You're each treasured, valued. You have purpose today. Strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, you were made for this moment. we're in history. We're making history right now, Producer Steve. And thank you to this team I get to work with him. And that is Producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Jen, Echo, Charlie, and all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. Happy day after Sunday, day before Tuesday, Producer Steve. Magical, mysterious Monday. Uh, oh, I like that. I like that. Boy, we've got a lot of talk to talk about. And really excited. The show today, the first... Uh, hour, the featured guest. It's Ben Martin. Thank you to the Harris family for their uh, support of the show, bringing this show to you. And we'll talk about um, America's Essential Founders. And uh, our featured guest in the second segment is Dr. Jill Vecchio. She's been doing a bunch of research on, she's calling it Bio-Biden. Had you heard that before, Bio-Biden? <laughs> no, but leave it to her to come up with something like that. I know it, I know it. So that's in the second hour. Uh, but uh, we've got a lot to talk about. It was the state GOP Assembly this last weekend down in Colorado Springs, um, almost to 4,000. Well, uh, there were probably 4,500, 5,000 people there, but I think it was about 37, between 3,700 and 3,800 delegates that were seated. Um, and uh, so it was very robust. Apparently, the Democrats met on Zoom for their assembly, Steve. How uh, creative. How How appropriate. How appropriate. Life is a life is a uh, a contact sport, and uh, it was um, it was a definitely a very interesting day. I ended up with a almost a twenty one hour day on Saturday. Between that and then <laughs> heading up to the, uh, I got to MC this fabulous event that Paula Sarles and Misty Cook put together for the Marine Memorial, and. Uh, General John Allen spoke. I think we'll I think we'll probably try to get him scheduled for America's Veteran Stories. Really a beautiful event. So uh, it was a it was a great day. We got it all done, Steve. Who was it who said it's better to burn out than rust out? Because you are obviously a believer. <laughs> there you go. So check out the website. That's Kim Munson, M O N S O N dot com. We've got two great essays uh, that we we put out. Doctor uh, Groteis's essay, "How to Be an American Dissident," and love the the uh, visual on that. And then Jay Davidson's the or, excuse me. Well, both of them. I love the video, but it's or the um, the image. But on Jay Davidson's the slap. Uh, that is uh, that's really a great image as well, Steve. 
Yeah, I, I have no <laughs> arguments. Uh, the show comes to you because I have great sponsors. And one of those great sponsors is Hooters Restaurants. They have five locations. Lone Tree, Westminster, Aurora, Colorado Springs, and Loveland. And uh, they've got this great uh, burger special. It's available Monday through Friday. It's $11 on all their burgers. Uh, and um, they have some specialty burgers as well. So be sure and check that out. And uh, let's just continue on with all. As you know, my friends, we look at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And ultimately, socialism comes down to force. It's not about free stuff. It's a very bad idea. And when it's a bad idea, it has to be forced. And socialism is the gateway drug to communism. And uh, we see that romance, the, the, the narr- the rom- romancing the narrative of socialism here in America right now. But so many people are, are waking up, Steve. I mean, it was a robust group down in Colorado Springs at the Colorado GOP Assembly. Robust. I see, again, I try not to get carried away here because, you know, we we hear talk of this red wave coming, but yet, I'm sorry, my, my confidence is not that high that thinks that that's going to make everything, that alone will make everything just wonderful because we have squandered this kind of stuff before. Well, and when we talk about red wave, we need to make sure that we are electing people that, that really understand the American idea. Uh, honor the Constitution. And I think as people look at this red wave, there are those um, kind of, uh, I don't know where I would, but people that uh, instead of standing for something, they're running for office, and instead of standing for something and um, regarding the American idea that they put their finger in the wind and follow what they think people want. And that's how we've gotten to this position where we're at, Producer Steve. Well, we have this acronym that we are very, it makes us nervous. We call them Republicans in name only or mm-hmm. rhinos, mm-hmm. and they're frightening. Well, um, but I really think people are, are waking up. So I'm going to stay on task here because we've got everything. We've got such a big show planned for you. But my friends, remember, it's never compassionate to take other people's rights, their property, their freedom, or their livelihood via force. And there can, it can come in a variety of different ways. With weapon, which is the old days, the you know the enemy rides across the the hill and takes your stuff via weapon. But policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, uh, government-induced inflation, or this agenda, this globalist agenda, is also out to take our our rights. What did we talk about last week? We found that list of ten reasons people are leaving the state. Oh yes, and every one of them could be tied back to a policy that just. You know, it's strangling people economically or financially right. or, or the crime situation. Right. It, like right. You, and all of it you're saying is, is spot on. Yeah. It, and uh, all those things are antithetical to the all those policies. And, uh, of course, crime is antithetical to the American idea that we have these rights from God of life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. And um, we're getting off the rails from the Constitution on that. And what it is, Steve, it's this assault on the middle class. The American idea put in place this big, broad middle class. And under socialism and communism and globalism, you cannot have a big, broad middle class. So these policies, the COVID reaction, hey, there were some some businesses were chosen to be essential. Some were non-essential. Excuse me. The ones that were non-essential were typically your smaller businesses, 
And the big guys got the pass, and the little guys got the penalties. It's kind of what happened, Steve. You know, we have mentioned that several times in terms of who was essential and who wasn't or was not. And I don't know, I probably shouldn't say this on the air, but knowing when that came down, you know, when the virus hit and all these decisions were being made under the Trump administration, uh, that still kind of catches me off guard. Not, I'm not denying that it happened. It certainly did. So your point is, is those policies happened under the Trump administration. Yeah. It's a good point. Uh, remember that he did not mandate the vaccine or the masks from the national level. Although he's been, his narrative has been somewhat pro-vaccine. And that, I really take issue with him on that. However, we realized then what had happened and been put in place was all the power that had been given to these bureaucrats at these health departments. And so it took, the veil was taken off on that, but they're probably, we'll have to do that. That's another conversation, Steve. That's a really good good point. I think we need to delve into that more, but I want to give the results of what happened down at the, down at the GOP assembly. But first thing, quote for... The floor is yours. Okay. (laughs) Our quote for today is from Phyllis Shafley, because uh, that is the image that Zach chose for uh, Dr. Grotice's piece, uh, How to Be an American Dissident. And she was an American dissident. She was an American attorney, conservative activist and author. And she had a number of social and political views. She was opposed to liberal feminism. And as we look back now... Uh, liberal fem- feminism was not about um, empowering women uh, because look at what has happened with the men now walking around in women's locker rooms. We have a man competing in women's sports, and it all goes back to liberal feminism. Um, but she opposed liberal fem- feminism, gay rights, and abortion, and she successfully campaigned against the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, was born in 1924. She died in 2016. And she said, feminism is doomed to failure because it is based on an attempt to repeal and restructure human nature. Fast forward to then to now, she nailed it, Steve. I'd love to, I mean, she left us too soon. I'd love to know what her, you know, her thoughts would be on what we're seeing here and now. Oh my gosh. She probably would say, hey, I called it. That's probably what she would say. Okay, I was down at the State Assembly. I did have to leave early, so I'm going to very quickly give you my my take on everything. Okay, so Governor uh, Greg Lopez got top line. I think he got a little over 34%. I should have taken pictures of all of the results because I thought they would be really easy to get to. <laughs> not, not so much. But um, he got top line, I think, about 34%. Heidi Ganahl is on the ballot as well. She was, I think she also was petitioning on. And I think she got about 32%. Danielle Neuschwanger came in under the, the threshold of 30%. I think she was in between 20 and 29%. Um, what I'm hearing um, is that she's going to challenge that. Uh, so just stay tuned on that. Let's see. So that was Governor... And then, uh, let's see, next would be state, so Attorney General, and John Kellner, who is um, currently the DA of the Douglas, Elbert County, that whole area, uh, was running unopposed, unopposed. And then there was a nomination from the floor for Stanley Thorne, and I I think John got, hmm, 
in the 50 percentish something. I think Stanley was in the like 40 percentish percentages. Uh, again, I don't have the exact percentages here unless you said. And this was what was really frustrating, Steve, is on the Colorado State GOP website, I didn't see the results yet. And I think those should be there. Uh, but anyway, so uh, Kellner is uh, at this point being challenged by Thorne, although I have gotten some text messages that uh, Stanley Thorne um, may be an unaffiliated, um, unaffiliated regarding his party affiliation. So that could be interesting. So that's Attorney General. Uh, let's see. State Treasurer Lang Sias was um, unopposed. Secretary of State, and that is uh, the Tina Peters race. We haven't talked a lot about it, but there is a gentleman that is in the in the race, uh, Michael Donnell from the Eastern Plains. Uh, I think he is an election integrity guy, um, and he got. I think Tina got about sixty-two percent of the vote, so he must have gotten around thirty-eight percent. So he's on the ballot, and then Pam Anderson who is also Republican, she did not show up at the assembly. She is just petitioning on. So at this point, it'll be the three of them. But Tina Peters, I had the great honor to nominate her. So that was pretty exciting. So that's Secretary of State. Um, Let's see. Let me just think. Senate, I had to leave before the the Senate um, vote was taken. But And there's really great people in that race. But... And, and when I say but, Representative Ron Hanks uh, actually knocked everybody else out. Uh, they Nobody else got the required 30% to get onto the ballot. So it will be Ron Hanks and then Joe O'Day, who is um, a businessman, uh, and he's petitioning on the ballot. And uh, so that's going to be somewhat interesting because we'll, I'll, I'll comment on that as we get into the race a little bit more. But uh, And then... Basically, a lot of the the headlines were that it was the election deniers that uh, were elected. And actually, um, I want to say that it was the election fraud deniers that didn't get elected, Producer Steve. (laughs) Well, I I saw, I I guess the, the source that I eventually went to yesterday morning to find some of this information was big on making that point about all these election deniers. Look at this. But, you know, the source, which I guess I, I shouldn't mention here, uh, you would expect that from them. Mm-hmm. I know. So I think that's pretty well it. Um, let's see. Governor, Attorney General, uh, Secretary of State, State Treasurer, and Senate. So I think that I covered all that. Let's go to break, and uh, let's uh, take a little uh, a gander at our history with uh, Ben Martin. You know him patriotic historian and we're going to talk about our american essential founders we'll be right back inflation is rocking our boats especially for individuals on fixed incomes if you are 62 years or older mortgage specialist with polygon financial group lauren levy can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. 
All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. Uh, you'll get first look at our upcoming guests as well as our most recent op-eds and podcasts. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. It's because of our sponsors as well as all of you out there um, supporting us is what has us on the air. We are an independent voice, and we're searching for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Remember, if something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. What a show we have planned for you today, though. This is brought to you by the Harris family. I thank them so much. And Ben Martin, who is a patriotic historian, former Army Ranger, uh, graduate of West Point, is gonna, going to bring some more of these essential founders to life. Ben Martin, welcome to the show. Well, I'm glad to be here this morning. How are you? I am, I am well. I feel, like, I feel like we are at um, our point in history right now. Uh, in many ways, we are, are standing up against a, a tyrannical government, uh, and, and particularly with what we see with the Biden administration. And we're at a very defining time in our, our country. But we've been here before, Ben Martin. So right. where, where do you want to start here? Well, today, Kim, we're going to talk about the pre-Revolutionary War leaders. And these are the people that were helping us after the French and Indian War, our founders there, that were trying to resist everything that the British were throwing at us. And, and we have to remember that at that time, the British were our governors, were our government, and, and, and they were working against us. And, you know, that's why when you said we can feel that today, it's the same kind of thing. You feel like the government is working against you. And they obviously did. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how the government then worked against them and how they reacted to that. Okay. Okay. And there's some well, real parallels, I think. Okay, well, let's start. <laughs> well, uh, in our last presentation, Kim, we discussed the events that eventually led to the American Revolution or the American War for Independence. And it was, as we talked about it, the French and Indian War or the Seven Years' War. And even though in America... That war lasted from 1754 to 1763, or nine years. It was called the Seven Years' War. It was that probably that new Common Core math, huh? It may have been. <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to check on that. We, good point, though. We we learned that that was it, that it was believed to be the first ever world war. This French, this French and Indian War, not so much, but the Seven Years' War. It was the, the whole world seemed like it was involved at the time, and that the war was started by the, by the father of our country, George Washington, who was then only 22 years old and serving as a leader in the Virginia militia. And we learned that the British sent a force of their vaunted military over to America to fight the French and Indians at the Battle of the Monongahela, now it's near today's Pittsburgh. We learned that Benjamin Franklin was critical in arranging the logistic support for that British force. 
and that Daniel Morgan helped to deliver that logistical support as a wagoneer and received, as we talked about last time, 499 lashes for striking a British officer. And that is such a remarkable story because he was supposed to get 500, and as you had said, 500 lashes. Ben, I just have to ask, is that why in the Constitution we say no cruel and unusual punishment because of some of the stuff they used to do? Well, yes, that's exactly right, yes. And we know that that's not the right way to do it. Well, and the other point you said is he was able to stay conscious for these uh, lashes, and they did 499, and he said, uh, give, what, give me one more so that he'd be at 500? I mean, that's a remarkable story. It is a remarkable story. Most people die from 500 lashes. And if, if they don't die, they at least pass out from mm-hmm. the pain mm-hmm. and, and just the time that it takes to do that. He stayed awake, and, you know, and, he, and he stayed just resistant. He was that kind of guy, and he'll, he's a guy that we'll talk about in, an upcoming, in the upcoming programs because he's a hero during the Revolutionary War, okay. and it's going to be great. So anyway, he, during that war, he earned the respect and developed a close relationship with George Washington. And because of his service during that war, the French and Indian War, because of that, Morgan would be affectionately called the old wagoneer in the Revolutionary War and would have the liberty to address George Washington in familiar terms when all others dared not do that. Wow. A very ill George Washington also played a critical role in that gruesome battle of the Monongahela. Again, at only 22 years old, when many of the veteran British officers had been killed, wounded, or were too shocked to exert leadership, Washington, this very ill young man, took command of the remaining British forces and led them to safety. And during that battle, our courageous Washington had two horses shot out from under him and had counted four bullet holes in his uniform, but he had not a scratch on his body. This was the start of an exalted reputation that would only grow throughout his lifetime. I was talking to somebody about it the other day, Ben, and yeah. they said that because throughout his, his life, Washington led from in front. Oh, yeah. And he wasn't really afraid of death. And I think it's because of this battle is I think he be- believed the divine provider would protect him. Uh, I think that's right, you know, and, and it happened over and over again in the Revolutionary War. And to happen once in somebody's lifetime is a miracle, but to happen as many times as it happened for him, he, he had he was pretty confident that he was blessed. I believe. <laughs> you know, I I want to make another a point on that. So down at the Colorado GOP assembly this uh-huh. la- this weekend, we had these. They said it was a closed circuit electronic voting. And and so trying to teach everybody how to run their clickers or whatever was, uh, they did a a, um, a couple of, of questions just to have everybody practice. And one of those questions was, who was your favorite president? And I think they had seven or eight choices. And Donald Trump, and Donald Trump got first billing, then Ronald Reagan. And, but they had seven or eight president names, pres, president's names there, Lincoln. But they did not include Washington, because that's who I would have voted for, is Washington. Yeah. And I thought, that is so 
curious that that was not one of the questions. But anyway, let's continue on. Well, that's really good. I gave a presentation on that to my Rotary Club a while back during uh, George Washington's uh, in during February around his birthday time, and I said that in most polls that are taken today, Washington comes in sixth or lower when we talk about voting for the best president. So isn't that? And it's because we don't teach our history. We don't teach our history, and we don't we we don't understand what he did, and and we don't appreciate that. Right. Right. Okay, so continue British on. British eventually won this French and Indian War, as we talked about last program, and in doing so, they gained a great deal of land in America, Canada from France and Florida from Spain. However, all this was done at a great expense, which doubled Britain's national debt. And this brings us to our presentation for today, which explores the pre-revolutionary period and the efforts of such founders as Samuel and John Adams, Patrick Henry, Dr. Joseph Warren, and again, Ben Franklin and George Washington. Those who led the American patriots through the unwarrantable acts and taxes without representation, the British used to try and refill the British coffers and further subjugate the American colonies. So we go into this now and talk about the British acts and taxes and American reactions. The, okay. the, peace, the peace accord, the Paris Peace Accord of, of uh, 1763 was signed on 10 February 1763. And on 7 October 1763, King George III issued the Royal Proclamation of 1763, which forbid the American colonists from establishing settlements west of the Appalachian Mountains. Why did he do that? Well, they did that because that's where all the fighting was. You know, the Indians, that w- they thought that was their land, and they were fighting, and the Americans wanted to settle it. And so that's where all the fighting was, was and that's what kind of started this, this seven-year war, the French and Indian War. And so they wanted to make sure that we didn't go in there again, that our, that our colonists didn't go in there again and try to settle. Uh, they were working out different treaties with the, with the uh, Native Americans at the time, with the Indians. And so that area from the Appalachians to the Mississippi River was designated as the Indian Reserve. And this was not an uncrossable boundary, the Appalachian Mountains. The colonists could cross it, but they could not settle on the west side of it. Also, it was not intended to be a permanent boundary, but a temporary one that would extend farther west in an orderly, lawful fashion. Proclamation voided after the Paris Peace Accord of 1783, which ended the Revolutionary War. So it, it could be, as it went along, as, w- as development moved along, they could renegotiate it, but, uh, but it wasn't at that time, with, with Britain not having any money to have another war, they wanted to try to rebuild their coffers, which, which made sense. Yeah, and it so seems that's like that's did. kind of reasonable to me. That, that was kind of reasonable, but it wasn't reasonable to most of, to many of our settlers, the purpose... Uh, it was, like I said, to prevent violent conflict between the Native Americans and the American settlers. But many colonists, settlers, 
traders and land developers, including some speculators and veterans of the French and Indian War, who were promised land within these boundaries for the services they provided in the French and Indian War. They strongly objected to this proclamation. And also this proclamation was regularly violated by all of the above-mentioned colonists, which would lead to the Pontiac Rebellion of 1763, and that was a Native American uprising. So they had that one. That was their first big thing that they had, and it came right out of the chute, right after they had signed the Paris Peace Accord in the same year. But then the first big... They, they, all these rest of these that they have now are called revenues. That was to save revenue, that proclamation of 1763. These other acts that they foisted upon us during that period were called, in general, were called revenue bills or revenue acts. And the first one of these was the Sugar or the Plantation Act of 5 April 1764. And besides sugar or molasses taxes, it imposed new duties on Madeira wine, coffee, foreign te- and foreign textiles. On molasses, it actually cut in half the tax from six pence to three pence per gallon. However, with the reduction, the tax rate was still high at about 33%, with the total cost of a gallon of molasses being about 12 pence. So, so it was still a high number, but it had been cut in half. And this reduction in taxes also came with the plan to vigorously collect it. Now, this caused the most consternation in the colonies and created sharp aggravation to those in the colonies of New England, especially Massachusetts, where Sam Adams and James Otis, two founders we extensively covered in previous years, argued in a Boston town hall or town meeting that by imposing taxation without reputation... Representation? Yeah, representation. Mm -hmm. Did I say that right? I added further, if our trade be taxed, then why not our lands and everything we possess or we make use of? And so that was, they were pretty strong, and we talked about both of those guys before, and we'll talk about uh, Samuel Adams some more. And so then we go to the Currency Act of April of 1764. So we're still, we're still in that time frame of April. So those, those were hit with us. We had this sugar tax and then the, the currency tax, and that was aimed at mostly at Virginia. So we had the first one, which was really impacting upon Boston, and we had the second one that was really impacting upon, uh, on Virginia and its attempt to establish its own monetary policy in the 1750s and to strengthen imperial commercial ex- exchanges by extending to the rest of the American colonies that, that they, the British wanted to extend this ban on the rest of them on the new issue of paper currency already in place in New England. And this this ban created a cash crisis in transatlantic economy, and it fostered a transatlantic trade recession that developed into a post-war depression and became a major grievance in most of the colonies. 
Boy, it's important to understand this because it seems like these are some of the things that we're still talking about today. Hey, Ben Martin, we're going to go to break. Before we do that, though, I zoomed through the first segment and did not mention the bill of the day, and that is the long bill. And that is the state's budget. Uh, they, They approved or they passed that on. It's a $36.4 billion for the next fiscal year. But one of the things that uh, Patty pulled out of this, she said, it's important to that listeners know that the Senate has approved the state budget, the long bill. And look at the funding for public schools, specifically health care within the schools. Uh, health care should be with parents and not in the schools, and the costs are extremely high. Cherry Creek has just opened two clinics in schools that even provide dental care. Dental care. People wonder why the cost of education is going up in the public school system. It has nothing to do with educating our children to be successful in a future career. Instead, it falls under the category of health care. And when we talked to Erin Lee on uh, Friday, she was our guest. I think uh, was she the second? I first thing I can't remember, but it was one of the two hours on Friday. Uh, her daughter, her 11-year-old daughter, was targeted by the transgender movement uh, by her homeroom art teacher in an after-school program, and and we're realizing that that this transgender movement is encouraging kids to get. Um, Surgery basically, it's it's mutilating our, our children, and I'm very concerned, uh, producer Steve, that we're going to have health care clinics in schools when we've got this agenda going on. And I know quickly we want to go to break, but what's your quick thoughts on that, Steve? Well, the the quick looking through the the uh, proposed budget is obvious here. Here's another. Uh, it just backs up the the point that their answer to every problem is more government and more money. That's exactly right. And it sounds like uh, when we're talking with Ben Martin, we've been here before. So let's go to break. We'll be right back with Ben Martin. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned Remax realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national levels. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. And we're talking with Ben Martin. This show is brought to you by the Harris family. Thank you to them. So, so appreciate them. And uh, we're talking about our American essential founders. And as we're talking about taxes and tyranny, it's like deja vu all over again, uh, <laughs> Ben Martin. So continue on. Well, we're talking about trade recessions and post-war depressions. So we go from that, and so these first two, these first two acts that the that the uh, British 
foisted upon us to try to help refill their coffers that were drained by the French and Indian War, the Seven Years' War. They tried to, to make that up on us, and each one of these war, were resisted very strongly by the colonists. And so then comes the Stamp Act of 22 March 1765, and that was the next step because, you know, they had been hoisting these, these bills, of these acts, these taxes, these levies on us, and we were resisting it, so they came up with this new one, which was a tax on all sorts of paper, from newspapers to legal documents to playing cards, that had long been in place in England, but they weren't here. And so the, the Prime Minister Greenville withdrew it, when an objection was raised that the colonies should be consulted before they have this tax put upon them or this duty put upon them. And so in January of 1765, Greenville, being a kind of a reasonable guy, made an offer to the Americans. He said the stamp duty will be laid aside if, and, let, and if they will propose another mode of raising funds, he will consider that. But... The Americans provided Greenville with no alternatives, so he reintroduced the bill in February of 1765. Okay. And uh, this was um, this was This was scheduled to go into force at the beginning of November of 65. So the passage of the Stamp Act was met with widespread resistance in the colonies. In 29 May 1765. In the, in the Virginia conventions, one of the five general, uh, Virginia conventions, Patrick Henry introduced the Stamp Act, the Stamp Act tax resolves. And then in October of that same year, we had a Stamp Act Congress. So we had the Stamp Act resolves, then that was introduced by Virginia, and then the Stamp Act Congress was really pushed by the people in Boston, and again, that was Samuel Adams, and it was so it was initiated by them, and they held it in New York, and representatives from nine colonies attended and agreed to a declaration of rights and grievances, which was written by one of our founders that was a very key in the Declaration of Independence, name was John Dickinson, and he wrote this allegiance, he said in that, that that we are offering our support, our allegiance to the Crown and Parliament, but only constitutional taxes are those that are proposed by our own assemblies, where we are represented. And the passage of the Stamp Act was met, as we said, with such widespread resistance that when Parliament met for its next session, in 14 January of 1766, influential members such as William Pitt demanded that the Stamp Act be repealed, which was accomplished two months later on 18 March of 1766. And its retraction, however, was coupled with the passage of the Declaratory Acts. See, they keep taking one away, and then they bring back another one. And this one was, was very onerous because it asserted that Parliament, it said, you know, it asserted that Parliament's power to bind the colonies and peoples of America, subjects of the Crown of Great Britain, in all cases whatsoever. 
and that really infuriated everybody. And so they reached them with that reaching America along with the news of the Stamp Act's repeal. The declaratory acts caused very little concern in the colonies because they had seen that same act imposed upon the Irish back in the 17th century, and the, and the British never tried to collect any taxes on that. So they, they kind of put that one aside, that even though they're trying to do this, we're, we're not going we're, we're to bite on it. And so then they come out with the Townsend Acts, and that, so this period of calm and com- compromise that settled in the transatlantic relations after the repeal of the Stamp Act did not last long. Just over a year later, in June of 1767, Charles Townsend, again, the, the new prime minister, levied duties on British China, British glass, paper, paste, uh, pasteboard, lead, paint, and tea. And then on 5 March of 1770, Lord North, who is now the prime minister, moved in the House of Commons to repeal all of the Townsend duties except for that on tea. Ah, and then we come to (laughs) the big one. So we have the Tea Act. And so the the Tea Act, as you know, and uh, just about everybody knows, that that was going to create some big problems. But this is still, now we're still in the 1760s, late as it is, in 1767, but we're moving up into 1770, and then we have, with these taxes being collected in Boston, you know, about 5 March of 1770, this thing called the Boston Massacre happened. And it was a confrontation on 5 March of 1770 in which British soldiers that were led by Captain Preston were being harassed by a mob in Boston who were throwing snowballs with rocks in them. Eventually, the soldiers couldn't take it anymore, and they fired at the, at, the, uh, at the mob, killing three instantly, wounding eight. Two more would die later of their wounds. The event was heavily publicized by our leading patriots, such as Paul Revere and Sam Adams. And John Adams legally defended the soldiers. Six of the soldiers were acquitted, and two were convicted of manslaughter charges and were given reduced sentences. And so that was, uh, that was a pretty big deal, and like I said, it was highly publicized through, throughout the colonies. And then we in the, have, in the movie John yeah. Adams, right. this was so interesting how it was depicted. And yeah. so there's this, I mean, think about the dynamics. Samuel Adams, his cousin John Adams, is defending these guys. I mean, think about the emotion that was going on in Boston at that time, Ben Martin. Well, well sure, everybody thought, hey, we got these British over here. They're in our courts, and we're going to try them, and we're going to fry them. And John Adams, you've got to give him a lot of credit. You know, he, he lost a lot of friends in doing that, but he said, you know, justice is justice. And as, as we've talked about before in our Federalist Papers, justice is the end goal of government. It is the end goal of society. And so... Not he, social justice, but impartial not justice. Not social justice, but, yeah, regular, real justice, <laughs> right. natural justice. 
Okay. Hey, let's go to break, Ben Martin. It's okay. going quickly, as always. Before we do that, though, uh, another great sponsor of the show is Kirsch Insurance Group. They are specialists in the Medicare arena, and they work with many carriers throughout Colorado here. So they can, they don't have to just use one carrier and what their plans are. They can help you, I guess, shop, if you will. They, they know what's going on out there. I know that... Um, Every year, the coverage for prescription drugs can change, and they are on it. And it doesn't cost anything to work with them. And it is so great to have professionals on your side of the table. And Kirsch Insurance Group is the uh, the people have on your side of the table regarding Medicare. You can get more information at ikirsch.com. That's I-K-I-R-S-C-H.com. That's ikirsch.com. We'll be right back with Ben Martin. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. Inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on. That's why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now, more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. Kim has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim can use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at Kim Munson. That's M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. Uh, and thank you to the Harris family for their sponsorship of this show. And we're talking about America's essential founders. Bent uh, with Ben Martin, patriotic historian, West Point grad, former Army Ranger. So Ben Martin, there's the Boston Massacre. Emotions have got to be high in Boston at that time. John Adams uh, represented these uh, British soldiers. And um, so what happens then in Boston? I can only imagine. So now it's we're in Boston. We're still in that part, you know, up or north east of our country at the time. And you know, in in, in that area, there's also Rhode Island. And Rhode Island is a big shipping company. And in what is happening during that time, the British have their their patrol boats out. And this is something. This is called the Gatsby affair. And most people have never heard of it or never paid attention to it. But this happens in, in 10 June of 1772, a couple years after the Boston, Mar- the Boston Massacre, but one year before the Tea Act is to go into effect. And so they, this Gatsby, they see these British schooners out there patrolling the water. And so the Gatsby is one of them. 
and it, it's a it's a British custom schooner which which sees our our American ships, uh, the colonial ships that are trading and sometimes, you know, not going through the port and paying their duties and stuff like that. So they're always running around and catching them and chart, you know, putting the crew in in jail and and taking all their uh, their cargo. So they see So this is the precursor to the IRS. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So the British schooner, they see it leaving Newport, Rhode Island. And in 1772, and so this small boat, this American boat, sees them, and it's so it, it says, okay, we're going to do something. We're going to go out there and attract them. And so the British boat, Gatsby, sees it, and it follows them. It's trying to catch them. And the, the small boat, the American boat, is called the Hannah. And so it takes this the the boat that's pursuing them the british boat that's pursuing them into shallow water they know the area a lot better than than the british do and the gatsby runs aground and so they're out there this is 9 june when this happens and they're out there overnight so they go and get a crew the americans know that they're stuck out on, they're stuck and so they go get a crew and they come back out on 10 June, early in the morning, a group of men that were led by Abraham Whipple and John Brown attacked, boarded, and torched the ship. And this incident increased the tension greatly between American colonists <laughs> and British officials that, was, that just followed, like we said, the, the Boston Mar- Mar- uh, the massacre. And so this event... It increased it so much that, uh, you know, we, we're now on the brink, and then the T-Act comes into play. So it's, it's adding another big weight to the shoulders. And it had very little to do with either the constitutional principle or raising the revenue. It was a pragmatic measure by, again, Prime Minister Lord North to bail out a virtually bankrupt East India co- Company. It, you know, it sort of sounds a little bit like you know, this, this green industry and stuff like that. You know, okay, we're gonna we're gonna take care of you by by the government. So, but no one in London foresaw, however, how much the Americans appreciated their liberty, and the enemies of the Tea Act would would quickly create. So, American politicians would exploit the bill as a thinly veiled attempt to secure colonial submission to a blanket principle of parliamentary taxation, even though they were, they were getting the tea for less than they would normally get it on the open market. So that British Tea Act comes out in, 16, in, uh, in 1773, and then in 16 December 1773, we have the Boston Tea Party. Now, it starts in the summer of 1773 when the East Indian Company has runs their plan into action and they dispatch all of these shipments to Charleston, Philadelphia, New York, and Boston. And when, the, when it comes to New York and Philadelphia, they turn the ships back. They won't even let them get in the harbor. In Charleston, the tea was unloaded, but the tax was not paid. And in Boston, however... The, the, the uh, Massachusetts Bay governor, Thomas Hutchinson, British governor and British-installed governor, believed that the landing of the tea was a necessary demonstration of parliamentary sovereignty. 
sovereignty. And so Boston's radicals, however, would not allow the tea off the company's ships. Those three ships on the evening of 16 December 1773 were boarded by a group led by Samuel Adams disguised as Mohawk Indians. And they boarded the ships, dumped the, the, dumped the tea into the harbor. There were 350 casks of tea worth about 10,000 pounds in an act that would become known as the Boston Tea Party, which we already know. And this really infuriated the British, and they, that's when they came out in June of 1774 with the Coercive Acts, or as the Americans called them, the Intolerable Acts. And so they consisted of five major acts. There was a Boston Port Bill, which closed down the, Bo- the Boston Port until all the taxes were paid on the or all the all the purchases were made to pay for the the uh, ruined tea and then that was one and then the impartial administration of justice act and that provided the british officials accused of committing crimes in a colony that they might be taken to england for trial and because witnesses may be forced to travel to england the British officials thought that they may just escape justice. So that's the second one. Then the Massachusetts Government Act, which really infuriated Boston, Boston, restricted the town meetings to once a year unless the governor approved, this is the British governor approved, of any more. The Massachusetts Assembly could not meet any longer. And the governor would appoint all officials, juries, and sheriffs. And you know, so that, they were really getting, so that's the third one. The fourth one is called the Quartering Act, which was brought back into uh, action here on 2 June, and it established, you know, as it had before, that not only could the British force the colonies to provide housing to their British troops, but and that was usually in a barn or in a the top of a building or something like that, now they could force them even into their the colonists' houses, and the colonists had supply had to supply them with their food and alcohol beverages and things like that. So that was the fourth one, and then the Quebec Act, which uh, was established in May of 1774. And this act, although the British made no connection between the Coercive Acts and the Quebec Act, that they were seen on the American mainland as malicious is a malicious deed and collectively called into place because they came at the same time. They were also called the Intolerable Acts. And this law really infuriated the Protestants because it recognized the Roman Catholic Church as its established church, and they were appointing a council rather than elected bodies to make major decisions for the colonies, as we talked about in Boston. And then the boundary of Quebec was extended into the Ohio Valley, which you remember, that's what the French and Indian War was about, you know, was, was mm. fighting in there. And so those intolerable acts helped the colonists bond together. They joined together in boycotting all British goods, not just Boston, but in Massachusetts, but all the other colonies joined too. And this prepared the colonists for their war with, with the British and to declare their independence. It also led to the first Continental Congress, which was convened in Philadelphia in Carpenter Hall, not not in Liberty, 
not in the Liberty Hall, but in, in the Independence Hall, but in Philadelphia on 5 September 1774. And then it would also lead eventually in 1775 to our Second Continental Congress, which would last throughout the Revolutionary War. So you have those two things going, but while this was all happening, and we'll talk about that in our next, prog- in our, our next program and the one after that, that during this conduct, you had the, the, the Pennsylvania, the, um, Virginia, or I mean, I'm sorry, the Massachusetts produced the Suffolk, the Suffolk Resolves, and that was done by Dr. Joseph Warren. And at the same time, Virginia, again, remember I told you those were the two colonies that were most hurt by the British. They held five conventions during this time of their newly formed government because they no longer had a government because of the coercive acts. And so it was really, really important that they they do this. And so, you know, sometimes bad medicine makes you well. (laughs) Hey, Ben Martin, this is fascinating. We're out of time, but uh, it goes so quickly, but bringing our history alive. And again, as we're talking about this, it's kind of like deja vu all over again. Ben Martin, thank you so much. You're very welcome, Kim. I enjoy being with you today. Okay. And our quote for the end of the day is from Phyllis Shafley. She said, the feminist movement taught women to see themselves as victims of an oppressive Uh, patriarchy. Self-imposed victimhood is not a recipe for happiness. So my friends, today be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America. It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important stories. Socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. What it means is is that government controls it through rules and regulations. The latest in politics and world affairs. Under this guise of bipartisanship and nonpartisanship, it's actually tapped down the truth. Today's current opinions and ideas. On an equal field in the battle of ideas, mistruths or misconceptions, and it is getting us into a world of hurt. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation and welcome to the Kim Munson Show, Hour 2. Thank you so much for joining us. You're each treasured, you're valued, you have purpose. Today, strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, you were made for this moment. And thank you to this team that I get to work with. That's producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Charlie, Echo, Jen, and everybody here at Crawford Broadcasting. Happy day after Sunday, day before Tuesday, producer Steve. I'll have to do a, a word play on this, but all I can come up with at this point is it magical, mysterious Monday. Uh, I like that. I think that that's good. Very I need good. some more M words. Some yeah. more M words. Okay, keep working on that. Uh, so for this particular hour, we're going to go through just some of the he- headlines. Basically, what happened down at the Colorado GOP Assembly in Colorado Springs. The Democrats met on Zoom. Just wanted to make that point. I, and. Um, 
Well, I was thinking about our conversation with Ben Martin in the first hour and the Brits saying that you couldn't assemble. That I mean, that was one of the things that made the colonists very frustrated. And I'm thinking about the Democrats, COVID, actually it was some Republicans too, said you couldn't meet during COVID. Um, do you see a correlation there, Steve? I well, kind of do. Based on what you said in, in the town that you live in, they do a lot of stuff by uh, Zoom. Zoom. But, you know, and that sounds so, you know, they can make it sound so flowery, wonderful. But, you know, you're controlling the outcome. You are controlling the narrative. So anyway, continue on. Uh, check out the website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim dot com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We got the newsletter out yesterday, Steve. It was such a wild Wild few days, and I, I said, uh, I told you that Saturday was a 21-hour day, but we got it done. Uh, so anyway, it uh, took me a while to get the copy over to Zach for the newsletter. So it went out late yesterday, but it still went out on Sunday, and uh, so we're pretty pleased that we made that happen, Steve. Well, I said, I guess I said in the first show, whoever uttered the words, it's better to burn out than rust out. You are obviously a believer because I know what your schedule has been since Friday. <laughs> yes, but uh, it's time to you have to step into that. You know, and, and I, I knew it was going to be a wild weekend. And I think, well, I, I can't whine about that with all the interviews we've done for America's Veteran Stories. And you think about the lack of sleep that those guys went through to stand against tyranny it's like i'm not whining about it It was just uh, when finally i was driving away from the event on saturday night that great marine uh, event for the marine memorial i was driving away i'm like we got it done and so that was uh, i was just really grateful to the good lord for giving us the energy to make that happen but check out uh, the website and uh, thank you for supporting us let's see here our quote for the day Zach did a couple of really great images for our two op-eds that we rolled out. The first with uh, Dr. Uh, Douglas Groteis about how to be an American dissident. He has an um, image of Phyllis Shafley. And then the other one is a great image that he did for uh, Jay Davidson's essay on the slap. So you'll want to go to my website just to check those out. But our quote for today, I decided to use Phyllis Shafley. Uh, she's an American attorney. She was an American attorney, conservative activist, and author, and she held significant conservative views on social and political things. She was opposed to liberal feminism, gay rights, and abortion. She knew what that was going to do to our society. We see that now. And she successfully campaigned against the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment. She was born in 1924. She died in 2016. And she said, feminism is doomed to failure because it is based on an attempt to repeal and restructure human nature. So now we're in 2022. Radical feminism uh, really kind of started with that. And now we have, instead of fe- the feminist movement standing against this movement to put men in women's sports, men in women's locker rooms, uh, that was, um, I mean, it's the outcome of, of where we're at, but um, she saw it, but I don't think society saw it. And here we are, and now we've got a, the veil is off and we uh, people are waking up. That's what I'll say. Well, you spoke it well. You mentioned you listed the things that she was against, but you followed it up immediately with because she knew what it was going to do to our society. Our society. And uh, we don't really like what we're seeing right now. I mean, it is 
crazy what's happened. Uh, so let's see. I've got to stay on task, though. Let The bill of the day, we'll talk about that first because, and, and again, you take a look at what is happening here with our children. When we had Erin Leon on Friday, she talked about the transgender movement are in schools and an after-school program, homeroom uh, home teacher uh, has this um, supposed art meeting after school, and they bring in uh, somebody who's paid by the the uh, um, the school district uh, as a substitute teacher and also as an employee of the Larimer County uh, Public Health Department, and it is pushing the transgender agenda on her 11-year-old daughter, and we're realizing 11 to 13-year-old girls are really being targeted on this, but they're grooming them now with curriculum starting in kindergarten. If not, they're even trying to do groom them in preschool. Instead of teaching in education what we would expect, the ABCs, how to count, critical thinking, science, history, all of that. And so this should put great fear in the long bill, which is the the Colorado budget. It passed the Senate uh, last week. It'll be headed to the House and and, and, uh, be signed by the governor. But Patty makes this point regarding the long bill. It has money in there for public schools, but specifically health care within the schools. And Patty makes the point, health care should be with parents and not in the schools. The costs are extremely high. Cherry Creek has opened two clinics in schools, says they're going to imp- provide dental care. Okay, maybe, maybe people say, oh, that sounds great. But understand, the radical activist left is playing long ball. And if, in fact, their goal is to get kids to be uncomfortable in the bodies that they're in and start to do surgery to change those bodies, actually mutilating their bodies and you're putting clinics in schools you see the radical activist agenda in Colorado it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out this is not going to be about dental care producer Steve this is going to be about something else well somebody hearing you would think oh that's preposterous Kim and you know how could you even connect the dots there I'm sorry we have seen too much in the last I don't know you Whatever time period you want to identify, we have seen a lot of skullduggery and, uh, you know, just things that yeah. just shouldn't be. Yeah. Can you see your child, Aaron Lee, child? And that's the other thing that is was so disturbing about that interview is her daughter goes into this uh, after-school meeting art about art, art club. And one of the first things they say is, what's said in here stays in here. Don't tell your parents. And now we're going to have clinics in schools. Uh, Danger, danger. That's why the Colorado State GOP Assembly was so important this last weekend. The Democrats met on Zoom, but the, the Republicans, in true fashion of Republicans, it's like trying to herd wild horses, met down in Colorado Springs. And I'm going to quickly give you the results because it was, it's difficult to find the results online. Uh, so for governor... You had to get 30% of the votes at assembly to get onto the ballot. There are people that also are petitioning on the ballot that did not go through the assembly process. And if you did get petitions to be on the ballot but did not get 10% of the votes down at assembly, that would knock you off. So uh, we have a couple of um, different races where, uh, well, in the um, 
let's see, in, let me think here. Okay, let's go through governor. So, uh, Greg Lopez has top line. He got over, I think, 34% of the vote. Heidi Ganahl got, I think, around 32% of the vote. Danielle Neuschwanger was in that 28 to 29% range, so that keeps her off the ballot. I've heard that she's going to challenge that. Let's see, next thing, a state... Uh, Attorney General John Kellner, um, there were, was a nomination from the floor, and that was Stanley Thorne, and uh, I think John was in the 50-plus range. I think that Stanley was in the 40% range. I should have taken pictures of all that. I thought we would have all that on the GOP um, website. We don't. Um, and so at this point, John Kellner has a primary, although I've heard that Stanley is not a Republican, that he has is a registered unaffiliated, and I think you have to be a Republican to be a Republican candidate. So uh, stay tuned on that. Uh, State Treasurer Lang Sias was unopposed, so he is the candidate there. And Secretary of State Tina Peters received over 60% of the vote, uh, and the crowds loves loves her and i did actually make the nomination for her for that uh mike o'donnell we've not talked a lot about him uh he i think is an election integrity guy as well uh and he got um enough to be on the ballot then pam anderson did not show up she is petitioning on and uh we've talked go just go and check out my uh, essay that i did on that let's see um regarding uh, u.s senate there were a, a very fine field of, of people. I moderated two of those um, forums with the Senate candidates and really, really great candidates across across the complete spectrum there. Uh, Ron Hanks got, I think, 38, 39 percent of the vote. And so and and basically nobody else got more than 30 percent. So he knocked everybody else off that ballot. Joe O'Day, a businessman, is petitioning on, so the primary is going to be between Ron Hanks and Joe O'Day. That's the quick synopsis. Did I miss anything, Steve? No, you got it. I got it all. Okay, let's go to break. Dr. Jill Vecchio is on the line, and she's been doing some research on these biolabs throughout the world. And this is titled Bio Biden. So we'll talk with Dr. Jill Vecchio in the next two segments. The last segment is our call-ins. I've got to think you've all got something to say about the topics we talked about, the GOP assembly. I want to hear what's on your radar. That phone number is 303-477-5600. So write that down. Be ready to call in in the last segment. Uh, but we're going to go to break. When we come back, Dr. Jill Vecchio's commenting on Bio Biden. Stay tuned. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned Remax realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national levels. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. 
Uh, welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You'll, you will get first look at our upcoming guests, our most recent op-eds, our most recent podcasts. And thank you to all of you who support us. On the line with me is Dr. Jill Vecchio. And uh, she's a, a frequent guest. We do some great podcasts. Uh, and she's been doing some research on BioBiden, these bio labs. Dr. Jill Vecchio, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kim. What have you found out? There's a, there's a, you can um, Google this. Well, I don't know if it'll show up on Google, but you can uh, duck, duck, go or something. It's called BioBiden, B-I-O-B-I-D-E-N. It's as one word. It was issued uh, as a comment in writing by Maria Zakharova, who was a Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs spokeswoman. It was issued March 27, 2022, and I kind of stumbled across it. Um, it was it, It's really detailed. I'd like to go through some of it. It's, uh, okay. it's like three or some pages long, two and a half pages long, but I'll, I can read fast. But this is how it starts. And it was also put out on Telegram. It kind of it made a lot of rounds on social network and the internet, but no mainstream media has covered it. I found it on Gateway Pundit, okay. which is, you know, which, which is very popular and, you know, I think respected online outlet. I have to tell you, <clears throat> in just doing a quick duck, duck, go on it, I put in BioBiden, B-I-O-B-I-D-E-N, and the first thing that comes up is BioBiday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there Same you go. Thing. <laughs> Same thing, exactly. Okay, so let's go through this, Jill. Uh, so she starts out her comments by saying, we can get a rough idea of the U.S. political elite's involvement in the military biologic activity in Ukraine. And just think about that phrase, the U.S. political elite's involvement. Okay. Not, not any political party. Elite's involvement in the military biological activity in Ukraine if we rely on open sources as well as leaked documents. Uh, Remember, Putin was an intelligence officer in the KGB for 12 years or something. Um, Below is an attempt to reconstruct the chronology of this involvement, though not a comprehensive one. There are many gaps in this truly diabolical plan that are still to be filled which is really an interesting little teaser. Mm-hmm. 1991, the U.S. launches this Nunn-Lugar program. So I'll, I'll kind of summarize some of these. So when the, the Soviet Union fell in 1989, over very quickly over the next two or three years, many of the Warsaw Pact uh, countries formed their own countries, maybe not the same country, but, you know, the, you know Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia got split up and things like that. So... In 1991, um, the United States formed agreements with the former Soviet, a a lot of these former Soviet states that were becoming their own countries, and they formed an agreement to try to get rid of the weapons of mass destruction that Russia had already put in these areas. So these countries already had biolabs for the purpose of developing bioweapons, just like everybody else in the world was had bioweapons labs. They never went away. But the United States entered into agreements with these former Soviet countries to say, let's get rid of the bioweapons. And they did the same thing with the nuclear weapons that were in, like, Ukraine. Uh, So so they they made these agreements. And the the Pentagon's Defense Threat Reduction Agency, DTRA, 
was in charge of this bioweapons removal. The problem is, it's been well documented, that uh, up until two, between 1991 and 2005, uh, the United States, this DPRA uh, division of the United States government, was rather than getting rid of the bio labs, they were putting money into them and developing the bio labs. So Russia knew that this was going on because they put the bio labs there. The bio labs were supposed to go away, and they didn't. They actually got upgraded. Hmm. Which is interesting. So she kind of goes through that <clears throat> timeline. Did you have a question? No, no, continue on. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, and the Ukrainian health ministry and, was working with. I, and I guess the point is, though, is this time frame now is when uh, George Bush was in pre- was the president, right? Well, but yeah, this goes through many presidents. This goes to 1991. So that was H.W. H.W. Uh, and then Clinton and then Bush, then Obama. Right. Okay. So this is this is through what four different, yeah, four four different administrations of four different administrations of people who use the term one world order and new world order. Okay. Okay. So this isn't about political party. This is about ideology. Got it. <clears throat> and, and again, that was H. W. Bush, Clinton, uh, George Bush, and Obama. During yes, those terms. And thanks for bringing that up. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in two, from 2005 to 2014, and again, this is this this Russian uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs spokeswoman's her comment. 2005 to 2014, Black and Veach, and that's V is in Victor E A T C H, Black and Veach special projects, a DTRA contractor, right? Public private con- mm-hmm, partnership. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Huh? Yeah builds and upgrades eight biolabs in Ukraine instead of, instead of eliminating military biological infrastructure, as was originally claimed. One of the facilities, a biolab in Odessa, and Odessa is a south, a kind of south-central, a little bit, no, it's kind of southwest um, portion of Ukraine that is on the Black Sea. And they're kind of, there was some question as to whether or not they were trying to break away from Ukraine when the Nazis took over um, in 2014. Wait, when the, um, when the who took over? I think it was... I think you, it was you said that well, when the Nazis when, took when over? The, yes. When the Nazis were allowed to, to have a great deal of power and free reign for... Hmm, suppressing the masses, so to speak, in, in Ukraine. That's a whole other discussion. But that, but that was back during World War II. <laughs> it, that wasn't now. No. No, that's no, that's that's been going on since at least 2014. Nazis in they Ukraine. Have, yes. Oh, I did yes. not know the Nazis that. Nazis never left Ukraine. So Ukraine is really like two different countries. The East is the East is Russian affinitive and Russian, largely Russian-speaking, a, a lot of Orthodox Jews, Russian Orthodox, um, from a religious standpoint, in eastern Ukraine along the Russian border. And that's where all this fighting has been in the uh, um, Donbass region of the, whatever, the DLR and the L, 
I can't remember. The, the, whatever that those two Donetsk and Donetsk and I can't remember. But those two areas are that's the Donbass region are the two areas of Ukraine in the east that want to join with Russia. They want to separate from Ukraine and be Russian. Um, and so there's been this whole movement, and a lot of the fighting is happening over there. Uh, for the large part, and the, and there are a whole lot of people saying the neo-Nazis are the ones killing Ukrainians because where they're killing Ukrainians is these are these are people that consider themselves part of Russia. Why would Russia kill these people? Hmm. You know, it doesn't make any sense. And and the there are neo-Nazi groups, uh, the um, Azov Battalion. You've, have you heard that term? No, Azov Battalion. Hmm. Uh, uh, there, there's a lot of talk of the Azov Battalion is the largest and most powerful neo-Nazi arm of the Ukrainian army, and they've been given a whole lot of power. So the the assertion is, or the allegation is, that it's the Azov Battalion that is actually, and they're the ones engaging the Russians uh, to a large extent, supposedly, uh, but they are also the ones committing these atrocities against eastern ukrainians uh, so <clears throat> is there is there proof to that jill there's a whole lot of proof and th- there's so much stuff that we're not told by our media obviously you know you can't you can't just look at what's to, to me if if the media is touting something and throwing their arms around and screaming and yelling i immediately go look for okay what's the other side of the story because I don't, I don't trust our media, and I don't trust what our government is telling us anymore. I think, I think we have really good reasons not to trust them, since they lied to us so much about COVID. That for weird is... reasons, and they're lying to us about so many different things. You know, they never they 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 insisted that Agenda 21 was a conspiracy theory, that that uh, the Great Reset is a conspiracy theory, and we know that it's not. They're, they just lie to us constantly. You, that's so interesting. Worth, what I'm saying is it's worth exploring, but there's a whole lot of information out there. I encourage everybody, look up the neo-Nazi movement in Ukraine. And the U.S. government has admitted that there are neo-Nazis in Ukraine. It was so, uh, when I was down at the uh, GOP assembly, I ended up getting to room with a, a, a person who's becoming a really good friend, and she's super smart, just like you. I'm not going to say the name because I want to make sure it's okay before I do, but she and I, that's one of the reasons why I had such a long weekend is she and I ended up st- uh, staying up talking about this, uh, and the media has really been vilifying Putin, and... But it's the same, as you mentioned, the same media that was controlling the narrative on COVID. So it, she and I both agree this is worth exploring more. So this is so fascinating. Uh, I'm talking with Dr. Jill Vecchio. Okay, so I'm looking right. Oh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm looking at CNN. CNN calls him. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Let's go to break. And while you're looking that up, let's go to break. And when we come back, we'll continue this conversation with Dr. Jill Vecchio about bio Biden and Ukraine. Stay tuned. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. 
Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. Inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on. That's why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now, more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. Kim has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim can use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at Kim Munson. That's M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Welcome back to The Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com. Thank you to all of you who support us. And on the line with me is Dr. Jill Vecchio. When she researches something, she really research, uh, you know, gets to the bottom of it. And we're talking about bio Biden, these bio labs that it, it's not just Biden. It was really, uh, let's see, it was H.W. Bush and then Clinton, then George Bush, Obama. Uh, of course, Trump uh, kind of uh, put some fly in the ointment uh, to their party. But now we're at, at, uh, at Biden. So connecting these dots is important. Uh, you were looking something up on CNN, Dr. Jill. Did you find it? Yes. But, I, you know, I think I'd, we should have a, di- a, a discussion all about the neo-Nazis on a different day. Because okay, I do, do want to go through this bioweapons lab stuff because there are some important connections that I want to make sure we cover before we're done. But, okay. uh, yeah, CNN, it's, they like to call them extreme right wing, extreme right wing. Well, that is neo-Nazi. Extreme right wing is Nazi neo-Nazi, especially in the context of Ukraine. The Azov Battalion, some places say it's part of the National Guard. Other ones say it's part of the actual army. Other ones say it's it's a volunteer militia. Okay, so we'll do that <laughs> so, to your point. It's hard to really get a feeling on the Azov Battalion, but neo-Nazis are definitely in Ukraine. And and even the ma- mainstream media will will allow that once in a while. We'll, we'll allow people to say that. And um, I, yeah, so, I do hate to now, say extreme right wing because then people mentally connect it with the, when you hear the term the, right wing here. movement, exactly. So, so but yeah. we'll talk about that because actually Nazis, it was the national, uh, Nazi stands for National Socialist Workers Party. Democrats. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. but we'll talk about that some other time. So we've got about yeah. 10, 15 or 10, 12 minutes. So let's, let's, Okay. Continue on here. So now, in so we talked about 2014. They were developing these eight bio labs in Ukraine, and this was this was uh, public-private partnerships, non-governmental organizations working with Department of Defense and the United States government and the Ukrainian Health Ministry. So all of these things working together. Um, let's see. There is a, a do a former Department of Defense employee, Nathan Wolf, found a global viral forecasting institute then changed to Global Viral, which is a biomedical company. And that was 2007. The website, they've been changed. Yes, that was 2007. They've been changed to a new entity now called Laboratory for Research in Complex Systems. Hmm. 
And I looked, I looked, I went down the rabbit hole on this one, LRC. Um, so researching complex systems, this is run by a guy from UCSF. He's an instructor at the medical school, or at least used to be. It's a nonprofit, guess what, another non-governmental mm-hmm. organization. Mm-hmm. A nonprofit, uh, wonder where they get their money. Uh, their, their motto is, uh, they would, not motto, but they want to explore the boundaries of life. They have a video on the website. I didn't get to watch the whole thing this morning. Boundaries of life. That's a little scary to think right yeah. now. New synthetic bios. They want, they want to work on the development of new synthetic biosystems. Wow. So this is, this is, the, this is the Great Reset. This is the Fourth Industrial Revolution mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. talked about in the Great Reset. Folks, you've got to listen to those episode 75 and episode 76 of the podcast that Kim and I did. Listen to it. Send it to everybody. This is what this is about. They are about marrying computers with the human body. Transhumanism. Right. Mm-hmm. So that the human body will become part computer. And they say this stuff out loud, folks. Don't look at us like we have tin hats. Go do your research. You can find this stuff on YouTube in a heartbeat. Hmm. It's right in your face. Okay. So that's what that's part of what they're looking at. And then let's see here. Um, Rosemont Seneca Partners, who else who we heard that? Former US Secretary John Kerry steps on Christopher Hines and uh, Joe Biden's son Hunter Biden formed Rosemont Seneca Seneca Partners in twenty fourteen. There is a coup d'etat in Ukraine that was partially orchestrated by the United States via Victoria Newland who was the State Department deputy to Ukraine during 2013 to 2015, something like that. Uh, Victoria Newland, uh, there, were, there were leaked phone calls between Victoria Newland and another United States uh, embassy uh, person. It was all run out of the United States embassy. It's amazing. Uh, the, the, there, okay. uh, we don't need to go down the rabbit hole on this. But that's when the neo-Nazis came into power. Okay. But okay, on 2014, Hunter Biden. Well, two, in 2009, I think you mentioned this, but Rosemont Seneca, I'd heard of it, but it is established by former U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry's stepson, Christopher Hines, and incumbent U.S. President Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden. And that was back in 2009. Right. Remarkable. Okay, continue on. I know you want right. to hit these things. Right. So then Burisma comes in. Hunter Biden joins the board of directors of Burisma in 2014 after this after this regime change that was largely orchestrated by the United States. And that's not Tin Hat either. You can look this stuff up. Um, Burisma Holdings and then Metabiota is a private commercial organization specializing in the study of pandemic risks detached from global viral that we just talked about. So this is, this is a combination of all of these different non-government organizations, privately owned um, uh, like uh, money money handling companies that that Hunter Biden is intimately associated with, and we've got our own government and the government of Ukraine all working together with these bio labs and pandemic risk and this global viral stuff that is their purpose is to uh, develop develop <clears throat> bio labs. So, Jill, to so this, get this is really well documented on, on this 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 comment thing that this gal has written. 
And to connect a dot, Ukraine became a big laundromat for laundering money. And so think about, so U.S. tax dollars go to Ukraine in aid, and then I think a lot of that money probably comes back to Democrat uh, operatives, Democrat politicians. And I found it really interesting. Yeah, I found it so interesting on this Ukraine war thing is yeah. remember when they, they said that they needed fighters, they needed uh, jets, and instead yeah. of sending jets, we sent more money. Now, they, I think maybe they now have gotten some jets, right. but I'm thinking they didn't need money. They needed equipment. And so, once again, I'm like, is this a big line? I don't know the answer, but it sure seems like connecting yeah. the dots, this might be money laundering again. Right. I, I think there are so many parts of this Ukraine Russia thing that raised so many questions. We have to ask these questions and we have to find out what we believe to be the truth on our own because we're not going to get it from our government, in my opinion, and we're definitely not going to get it from the media, including Fox News. So don't even think that you're going to hear the truth. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's sad that we're going to documents released by the Russians that may give us more truth than anything issued by our own government. That's a sad state of affairs. Now, this, this whole, but this whole web, so we've got Rosemont Seneca Partners, uh, the federal government, Department of Defense, former Department of Defense people starting non-government organizations, Metabiota, uh, Burisma Holdings, um, let's see, um, EcoHealth Alliance. Mm-hmm. And this global viral, uh, the, the Eco Health Alliance is another nonprofit working with the United States government through a former Department of Defense guy that started these global viral and Eco Health Alliance. Former DoD, standing their their motto is standing between you and the next pandemic. Oh. That's in 2016. Oh, how well did they do at that? Mm-hmm. How much mm-hmm. money did they get? But they were engaged in the study of bat-transmitted coronaviruses at the research center in Wuhan lab and in Wuhan, China. Interesting. That EcoHealth Alliance, standing between you and the next pandemic. No, it's more like standing, yeah. Uh, can, can, we'll let people just connect the, the yeah. next pandemic on you. Connect those yeah. dots, yeah. Okay. Right. Now, I've got a whole bunch of notes, but I know we're, we're probably running out of time. But then in, in 2019, all of a sudden, COVID-19... Uh, the COVID-19 outbreak happened. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that there's a big gap between 2016, which is the end of Obama's reign, and the Trump era. I found that very interesting that there's this gap mm-hmm. between 2017 and the end of 2019 when coronavirus came out. So, mm-hmm. And maybe that's one of the gaps that they're going to fill in. Um, I'd like to know what happened during the Trump administration in Ukraine did they know about these things? Were they doing anything about them? You know, I, I really, I, I think that needs to be answered mm-hmm. uh, because we can't point the finger at Biden and all these other, all these globalist administrations if our administration knew about it and didn't do anything about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If Trump knew about it and didn't do anything or, you know, what exactly transpired there? So, I, you know, I, I don't know, but... There are a lot of questions to ask, and uh, Victoria Newland 
the gal that is with, she is now in the, back in the same position that she was in 2014 during the regime change in 2014, where Poroshenko came into power. The Azov Battalion got very powerful. And uh, that, that was Victoria Nuland was in the thick of that. And now she's in charge of Ukraine again. She's the one that during Senate testimony with Marco Rubio admitted that there were bio labs in Ukraine. And then the DOD or the Pentagon put out some statement that, oh, no, these are defensive biolabs. No, 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 no. If you're a biolab developing bioweapons, viruses that can be used as bioweapons, then it don't matter whether you plan to defend against it or put it out there. You know, just like you just made a bad bug. You just made a very nasty bug that threatens the whole world. So and she is the out. and she's I mean, there's the no justification yeah. for it. And she's the Under Secretary of State for Political Affairs, correct? I, I'm just pulling I this. I can't remember her entire her. She used to have a, uh, her title was specific to Ukraine. I thought in 2014. So I'm not sure what her current exact title is. Okay. She's heavily involved in the Russia Ukraine. Ukraine, uh, the current. Um, the current milieu of what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. She's intimately involved in that again wow and it's, it's kind of like yeah that that to me is frightening when you really look at what this woman has helped to perpetrate and let's face it the united states has done regime change you can look on wikipedia wikipedia which is less leaning says the united states has probably participated in regime change in up to 81 different countries okay this is not tin hat this has happened all over the world we did it in iraq well and look look if, if there are if there were biolabs on the border of the United States, do you not think we'd be wanting to do something about that? So Russia is saying, hey, you got all these bioweapons labs right next to us. Heck, when, when it was Iraq had bioweapons, oh, weapons of mass destruction, WMD, blah, 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 we have to go to war to stop them, right? So the United States used weapons of mass destruction, bioweapons, chemical weapons, as a reason to go to war for 20 years in Iraq. And Boy. yet we're going to go, Russia, oh, no, you're, you're completely unreasonable. I think we need to, uh, to do a podcast on this, Jill, because there's so many things on this because we're out of time. Fascinating, yeah. absolutely fascinating, Dr. Jill Vecchio. How do you want to button this up? Folks, get out there and do your research. Do not, you know... We don't know what the truth is. We may never know what the truth is. But look at both sides of every story. There's not just one side to this. And I know that, you know, I've got family members that think I'm off the wall with even, with even considering that it's not just uh, acquisition of more territory and bringing back the old Soviet Union from Putin's standpoint. Putin has some, there are some really interesting quotes from Putin all over the place and some really interesting interviews. And if you look at their interviews, he was part of the World Economic Forum. He was supposedly was a, one of the first young leaders of the World Economic Forum. But now the World Economic Forum has booted Putin out because of this Ukraine thing happening now. Although in 2014, when the whole Crimea thing happened, in 2016, in that time span, he was still... He was still a keynote speaker at the World Economic Forum during the Crimea stuff. So it's kind of like, okay, you got a little bit of a double standard here. Uh, is, is Putin really not a globalist? Has he turned against the globalists? 
I mean, we honestly don't know what's happening. Right. And there are there are theories out there all over the place. Okay. And it's fascinating to go down. It's, it's fascinating to go down these rabbit holes. So, like I said, we don't know what's true. I don't know what's true. But we're going to keep saying, doing the research. We yeah, we got to keep doing the research, Dr. Jill. Uh, so she and I will do a podcast on this. When when she gets starts to do research and goes down those rabbit holes, she does it for us. So uh, we're going to go to break. When we come back, and thank you to Dr. Jill Vecchio, uh, we're, we will take your calls. And uh, that's 303-477-5600, 303-477-5600. We'll be right back. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure to check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. I greatly appreciate that. And I want to hear from you. I know that uh, I know that there's uh, many of you out there that were down at the uh, state GOP assembly and would love to hear what you think about that. That phone number is 303-477-5600, 303-477-5600. I see the phone lines are um, getting full here. And S- producer Steve is going to let me know who our first caller is in just a moment. And again, I want to hear from you, 303-477-5600, 303-477-5600. And uh, Steve, um, do you have our first caller yet? It is Johnny from Denver. Hey, Johnny, happy Monday. What's on your mind? Hey, happy Monday. Yeah, I was here uh, for the first time at the Democratic's um, first you know, Republican, uh, Donald Trump came in, and I saw them nominate this guy for district attorney and I now come to find out that he didn't sign up as a Republican as he was supposed to be with the floor nomination and uh, supposedly the people said that Tina Peters uh, nominated him and then he, he, he put out the name uh, uh, Randy Corfin which you know, and so I naively thought well he must be a good guy but then found out that he didn't even do the paperwork to to even be qualified, and a lot of the votes went towards him. But he was now disqualified, so those votes are not void and went towards uh, the John Keltner that did all the paperwork right, was uh, nominatable, and we almost got duped because he trusted. That system that you would, if you're going to nominate somebody from the floor, that must be somebody who did 
all what we're supposed to do. Okay, Johnny, thank you so much. And uh, no, P- Tina Peters did not nominate him. And um, I, I now I. Um, I've got to go back and take a look at who did the nomination and who did the second on that. Uh, but, yeah, it's unfortunate. That's what I've heard as well, that instead of his uh, party affiliation being Republican, that it's unaffiliated. And uh, that is something that probably should have been vetted. But, of course, politics, uh, there was a lot of emotion. And I'm not going to comment totally on that yet. I want to have another day to kind of shake things out of why there was that nomination from the floor. And, Johnny, I was listening to Reggie's show the other day. Are you running for state house? Did I hear you say that? Yes, uh, House District uh, 5. Well, thank you. My opponent is uh, Alex uh, Valdez. Okay. Uh, And that's Johnny. Thank you for stepping forward for running for uh, state house. I greatly appreciated that. Let's go to Alan in Lakewood. What's on your radar? Hello, Kim. I'm a huge fan of yours. You did a great job for Tina Peters at the Assembly. I was a voting delegate there. Thank you. I, it, one of the other delegates, I tend to do deep dives also, and another of the delegates there, fellow named, well, I won't use the name, brought it to my attention that the deep dive he's done shows that the port of Odessa is a critical port on the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative. And I was not aware of that, but it makes incredible sense with everything else that's going on. I just wanted to bring it up for you and Jill. Okay. We'll have to make sure that Jill knows that. That's um, uh, good information. Um, I love the fact that she does this deep dive to ask these questions. And thanks for being down there at the assembly. It was <clears throat> kind of like watching sausage being made. Uh, better than that, as you pointed out, the... Uh, the people who are against fraud are in control, and there were other people there. You know, Cory Gardner and Hank Brown were there, but they didn't speak. I found that extremely interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were acknowledged from the um, lectern. <clears throat> Very interesting. And I, and also, getting a bunch of Republicans in the same place, it's like trying to herd wild, wild horses, Alan. I know. I know. I'm one of them, but I was there. I had to be. I, I did, too. You. I'll let you know get the next person. Sounds great. Thanks, Alan and Lakewood. Let's go to Mark in uh, Colorado Springs. Good morning. Yeah, I was there, too, at the State Assembly. Uh, a couple observations. Um, Deborah Flora, I think she's worth an honorable mention. She came in at 29% for uh, U.S. <clears throat> uh, Senator. Um, got knocked out. I think there were so many um, on that ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of diluted the vote, but... Uh, um, those are the rules. Uh, I think just in general, it'd be nice to have more than one on the primary ticket. Well, there will um, be um, Joe O'Day because he's petitioning on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, Michael Donald impressed me. Um, uh, Secretary of State. Um, he did that uh, thorough analysis on the voter rolls and came up with a lot of discrepancies. I thought that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. I hope uh, I hope. Uh, uh, Tina Peters hires him. <laughs> that would make a great team, huh, Mark? Right. Uh, and then, and then, um, uh, let's see. Um, Jill Becchio, right on the money. Um, she, her analysis is aligning perfectly with uh, with mine. Um, I've, I've been following this for years. 
and um, yeah, a lot, lot there. But I think, yeah, thanks, thanks to Jill for for that great analysis. Um, it's definitely not black and white. Well, um, and we're gonna but, gonna yeah. continue that conversation. And did you have one more thing, Mark? Well, uh, Victoria Newland, yeah, she's she's back in the thick of it. Um, she's going around the world, gathering up old uh, old weapons to send to. Uh, talking to different countries, talking to um, uh, getting these weapons from other countries and uh, going to send them to uh, Ukraine. Uh, of course, with the promise that um, they'll replace these weapons, like in Greece and other places, with uh, U.S. weapons. Very so interesting. She's okay. like a real bad actor. Okay. Thank you. Mark, thanks so much. Sandra in Loveland, uh, what's on your radar? Good morning, Kim. It was a wonderful time for conservative Republicans. The, um, I'll call them the established establishment Republicans had to listen to it for once. And um, we were very, very, um, I, was, I would say we were very strong altogether as one. Um, and the person who nominated um, Stanley Charles Thorne, I think was um, Rick Wyatt. He was one of our delegates here in Colorado. Okay. And, um, and also, um, Jill, oh my goodness, what can I say? She is awesome. Um, if people just go to Planet Lockdown, Catherine Austin sits, lays it all out, just like Jill DeVecchio does, and, and more. And thank you for being there and nominating Tina. I was thrilled. I was standing over to the side of you on the floor every second of it. It was wonderful. Okay, or on, you were on the stage as well? Or on the, you were on the floor. On the floor, down before you get to the stage, right at the stairs there. Got it, got it. Yes, it was uh, It was rather exciting to look out at the response that uh, Tina was getting from the, from the crowd. And uh, Mike O'Donnell, uh, uh, again, I had looked at his website, and he looks like a, a good candidate. Um, but she's got the, yes. the fire in the belly right now, which is what we need for that Secretary of State race, yes. uh, Sandra. And it was great Amen. to see you as we were going around <laughs> outside there. I so appreciate your support uh, of the show, and I love thank it you. when you, you call in. So thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you. Okay. And we could maybe do one caller, like a 30-second caller, if you want to try that. That's 303-477-5600, 303 my friends, we are at our, our rendezvous with history, if you will. And Colorado is at the tip of the spear. And so what happened down at the Colorado State GOP Assembly was remarkable. And uh, the, the uh, Republican operatives that have been in charge of the Republican Party here in Colorado have really, have really um, used, I think, the grassroots to do their work and to contribute to campaigns, but not listen to them. So it's remarkable uh, what happened. Producer Steve, what would you like to say? Uh, Sa- Sanders' comment about the establishment guys needed to listen to us, that really caught my attention. Well, I think that is the big message that comes out of out of the assembly and this attorney general uh, primary. We're going to watch what's occurring with that. Uh, but once again, it is a big message that there are people out there that are concerned and that we need to be listened to instead of sa- saying that there's nothing to see here. Clearly, Senate Bill 1- 153, which is that elections bill, 
uh, shows that there may very possibly be some there there. So we're out of time. Our quote for the end of the show is from Phyllis Shafley. She said, the feminist movement taught women to see themselves as victims of an oppressive patriarchy. Self-imposed victimhood is not a recipe for happiness. So my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America. But tell